On episode 328 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn exploitative tactics that work every time. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the show. And today we're going to talk about tactics, exploitative tactics that I have found work every time. And so I do have to give a little caveat where some of these are situational based or they're considerations you have to think about what type of opponent you're playing. But I've found that, you know, when the conditions that I am about to give you are true in certain cases, then these tactics are spot on. I'm going to launch right into it. You know, this one may may not be as long of an episode as my uh, one-hour interview bangers, if you will. But yeah, let's let's get into it. So let's cover doubles first. So one of my favorite ones that I just almost cackle you know, inside, definitely not outside, when I hit a winner uh, doing this, is when you're playing an aggressive, against a, an aggressive net player. So this is doubles again. So one player's at the net, one player's at the baseline uh, for the opposing team. If I'm at the baseline and, you know, an opponent has hit like a, a fairly deep ball against me and the net player sees me leaning backwards, they're poaching most of the time. And so in these instances, I like to hit down the line, and it doesn't have to be that great of a shot. You don't have to go for broke, you know, hit a, hit a screamer flat, you know. I just, you know, hit, hit a ball that's pretty safe down the line, a lot of top spin, you know. It'll probably be in the, the, the inside alley line uh, just about, or maybe even more towards just the, the left side of the court, let's say, if I'm on the ad side. Um, not even in the alley. So yeah, that type of ball is what you might want to hit when you're playing against an aggressive net player and they, they sense that you're on the defense because they love to, and rightly so, like, like to anticipate and say, okay, this person is on the back foot. They're in trouble. They're probably going to hit cross court. So this is a time for me to go and poach. But you know, it's like a game of chess. You know that that's going to happen. And then you got down the line. So you know, obviously, this may not apply for some of you playing three hundred, three five, four hundred, whatever level where you're playing opponents that are pretty stagnant. They're not really aggressive. They're just staying, you know, at their the same side that they are. You know, they that they start from at the net. You you don't want to do. You don't want to hit it down the line when you're on the back foot against them. But if you're playing against an aggressive net player, you do want to try this shot. So the next tactic here is somewhat similar. So I find that when I am hitting a backhand slice, if I show a backhand slice uh, and I'm, you know, my racket face is up and it's a bit open or whatever, then the net player again loves to go and poach on that. So then that's when you give them a nice little down the line switch up and you catch them. So that's another play that you can consider doing against an aggressive player. And then this next one is poaching on a crucial point. And so many episodes ago, I had 
mentioned, uh, you know, a match where I think it was seven all or yeah, I think it was seven all or eight all, probably eight all, I guess. And, um, you know, my, my partner was serving and, you know, I decided to poach because I knew that this is a crunch time, uh, you know, a moment in the match, the opponent is very, very likely to play it safe, play a cross court return. And that's when, you know, I mean, you know, that's going to happen and you poach and you have to be a little brave, obviously, you know, you have to go for it, um, in the sense of, you know, uh, executing the poach. But when you're in these crunch time situations, you know, 30 all deuce, um, add out, whatever, well, maybe not add out so much, but add in any, any, you know, crunch time moments, uh, shout out to Peter Freeman, my buddy, crunch time coaching, then it's a great play to poach. And I do this very often, you know, when the game's tied or it's a, you know, very, I can tell that it's tense, you know, I like to poach and that will win you a lot of key points. And, you know, these matches hinge on one key point many times. So, I mean, the other, a couple of weeks ago, I won a match. I think I had mentioned it, you know, 2018 and, uh, one point just turns the match around. So again, poaching on a crucial point, uh, you know, you have to take a little bit of action here and be brave, but I think that this is going to really pay off for you. And, you know, if you execute it and let's say you, you know, you missed the volley or something, no worries. It, you should do it again. You know, you shouldn't think, oh, I missed this volley and I'm, I feel bad about it and I'm not going to do it. You know, this is something that, you know, you try and, and, you know, most of the time you'll execute it properly, but maybe sometimes you won't. So definitely don't give up on that. Another exploitative play that I love doing, especially against um, servant volley teams, is to hit a lob return. I remember many years ago when I was playing with uh, one of my best friends, Victor, we, it was, I think it was tri-level sectionals and the, uh, the opponent just lobbed us over and over again particularly on, on Victor's serve because he would serve in volley and it really tired him out as well because he had to, you know, stop and go back and retrieve, you know, the lob. And then all of a sudden the other team was in great shape and it's a very safe play. And it's also a great play too, if you're not feeling, you know, super confident, let's say with maybe your backhand return, maybe you're on the, uh, the deuce side and then the, the server hits a nice serve to your backhand. You can just Lob it over the net player. Um, even better if it can be over their their backhand, but you know you don't have to necessarily um, make it so perfect like that. But I actually execute that play quite a bit to neutralize the opponent. You know I'm very confident in in my uh, baseline rally game against you know all the other opponents pretty much, and confidence with my net player as well. Uh, so yeah, I really like doing the lob return. Also, if you're in trouble. Lobbing over the backhand, you're going to even elicit a lot of errors that way. You know, the backhand overhead is extremely difficult, so um, you're usually going to get weakish reply back unless you're playing in the higher levels, you know, 4 or 5 plus, then you might have players who actually can snap into the backhand overhead, if you will. And then another exploitative tactic that I love doing is to lob over players that are too close to the net, giving them a lot of variation too. This makes them think twice and you know, kind of, um, yeah, basically just makes them uh, kind of decreases their confidence as well. You know, you, you, you're engaging in a battle with two players at net, and especially if they're tight, then you give them a lob. Or it, maybe you have a forehand and you think that, or they think that you're going to hit through it or whatever, and then you just hit a nice topspin lob over them. It, it does not have to be perfect at all if they're close to the net, especially, you know? So one of my 
favorite plays to do. You know, especially if it's a topspin lob, it's going to be very difficult. Even if you, you know, hit the topspin lob and they're able to get a racket on it, it's still going to be a very difficult shot because of that spin that you're putting on the ball. But you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be topspin. But if you if you have time, just loosen that arm and um, and go for that that topspin lob. I love hitting that shot mainly on the forehand. And then I also really love the play of hitting a heavy dipper against the opponents because that inevitably will make them hit up on the ball and then either I'm getting a nice short ball that I can rip if I'm on at the baseline, you know, assuming that I've, I'm the one who's hit the heavy dipper uh, shot topspin there I'm at the player's feet or my net player, I was going to say colleague, I don't know why, uh, partner would have put away ball or just a, a shot to hit at whoever's closer. And yeah, speaking of which, you know, another exploit is when you have a a volley, when you're at the net, you do want to hit it at the player who is closer to the net because they have less time to react. You know, you don't have to obviously like hit their head or something or, you know, other uh, sensitive areas, let's say. But, you know, I just like to go for the feet, lower body. It's just insanely difficult for them to get the ball back. And um, that's another easy exploit, easy tactic that that you can do when you play these doubles matches. So yeah, that's the, pretty much the list for doubles. So with that, let's go to singles. Um, and if I can think of any other doubles ones, I'll let you know. But for singles, I like to employ this play, which is, you know, you serve wide slice. And then if you're playing against a very quick opponent who, you know, they have good anticipation, they like to react and, and yeah, and they're fast, then hitting behind them is really a great play because all their momentum is going one way and then you're going to wrong foot them. And then, you know, a lot of times they won't even get back to the ball, but at most they'll, you know, they'll stop and then turn the other way and then hit a, a weak reply. So that's a really good exploit against fast opponents. And then obviously... If you're playing against a slower opponent, then, you know, slice out wide and then hit to the other end of the court is a really fantastic play that, you know, uh, let's say on the, if you're a righty serving on the deuce side, you give them that slice, they get it back and then you hit it to the open court and all of a sudden they have a running backhand. I mean, that's a terrible situation for the opponent. So really like doing that. And again, you know, the ball doesn't have to be perfect at the lines or anything, you know, just, you know, the, the, the third the last third part of the, um, uh, was it, I guess the ad side for, the, for your opponent's side, assuming that example I just gave. So that would be great. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. And then another exploitative play I like doing is hitting a short backhand slice. And uh, players have actually done this against me as well. And it's definitely a tough ball to handle. Twofold. One is if you hit a, a pretty short backhand slice, uh, then you make the player come to the net. You can make them come to the net. If they back up and it's a short ball, then they're in big trouble as well. Uh, they have a lot of ground to cover. But this way, you can, especially playing opponents such as, uh, as they call, you know, pushers. I'm trying to think of a more complimentary term. I mean, I don't mean 
pushers in a derogatory term, but some people take it as such. But, you know, there's the consistent players who get every ball back, um, usually with not much pace and whatnot. So making them come to the net to volley, they're usually, that's the weakest part of their game relative to, especially to their baseline craftiness. So I definitely uh, encourage that. And also, you know, hitting the this low slice backhand to a backhand as well. That's it's a really tough shot for the player. Basically, you're never going to get an offensive shot back off of that. I mean, you know, either they'll hit a slice back or if they have like a decent enough backhand, they might just hit a neutral ball. So the low slice backhand can really be very annoying to players, you know, especially those that have stronger forehands and try to run around their backhand a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm obviously I'm guilty of this too. So some of these tactics, you know, uh, I've used and some have been used against me. So there you go. Another exploit is if you're having a tough time getting to your opponent's backhand, let's say, again, that their backhand is weaker, then hitting a couple uh, shots wide to their forehand first to open up the backhand side, it can be an excellent tactic. Very obvious, you know, I just already stated it. I mean, that's that's a great way to get back to the back because, you know, they may be protecting the back inside hitting a lot of inside out, so uh, forehand. So what else to do? Go to the forehand and then go to the backhand. I also, I do this a lot against players with one-handed backhands. I just try to continually pound their one-handed backhand by hitting high, deep, spinny balls. Lots of topspin, heavy topspin to their one-handed backhand, and that eventually yields me a short ball. I was you know, playing against my friend Greg. I think I uploaded this video this this video of us playing a set, I don't know, like two years ago now, maybe more, but that was pretty much my tactic, just, you know, over and over again, you know, my forehand to the one-handed backhand, making them hit ones um, out of their strike zone, uh, Greg's strike zone. And to go with that, you know, this exploitative tactic, you have to really think about who you're playing and figure out your opponent's grip. And then once you know this, make them hit outside their comfort zone. And, you know, you can, you know, I mean, you don't have to like figure it out by looking necessarily at how they're holding the racket because that can be very tough. But just seeing, you know, how, how their racket face looks, you know, when they're, when they're taking it back and such, obviously, I mean, more extreme grips will have, you know, more closed uh, of a racket face throughout the backswing and whatnot. And uh, spinnier balls and such, whereas Eastern, you're going to get more flat balls and whatnot. So did I just say whatnot like three times in a row? <laughs> I may need to edit that out. But in any case, once you know the grip, then, you know, for example, Western grip, so they're going to hate hitting low balls. So give them low balls, and that's going to be very tough for them. They have to generate a ton of whip to get that low ball uh, up and over the net. Conversely, say you're playing a player with an eastern grip i can think of a few right now <laughs> um seeing their faces with fright for them you know give them higher balls to hit they generally don't like that sometimes they're you know hitting so flat it's hard for them to get the ball back in the court with that eastern grip hitting against high heavy balls and then similarly figure out what type of ball these players like and don't like to hit so you have some players who hate hitting balls that have no pace on them. They don't like generating their own pace. They just like using the pace of the other player. Conversely, others, you know, maybe they like the no pace. Maybe they, they enjoy, they, maybe they have a longer backswing and they enjoy having the time to, you know, 
load up and rip into the ball. But then when balls are coming fast at them, then they don't like that. They don't have the time to set up and such. So another exploit that you have to figure out on your own. I mean, notice obviously that a lot of these exploits are like simple plays, but then, you know, some of the later ones you have to actually really think about and, and you know, find out what your opponent likes and doesn't like. So yeah, just um, these, you know, pretty much from experience playing singles and doubles matches for yeah, three decades now. It's pretty crazy to think about. But um, in any case, really hope that you enjoyed this episode and are at least going to try to employ one of these tactics next time you play. So I really encourage you to try them out. It's always great to add to your toolkit. And again, don't worry about trying them and missing. I remember back when I just hated to serve in volley and there were a few sessions in my block time where I would serve in volley and then uh, miss a few volleys and they just felt so horrible. And then I just said, you know what? I, I, I feel like I feel embarrassed out here. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. Then, you know, one day I said, you know what? This just this makes no sense. Like, what am I embarrassed for? Nobody cares. Uh, you know, the only way to improve yourself is by trying new things continually and you know things do not happen automatically you're not going to just try something and it works incredibly well probably nine out of ten times or you know 95 out of 100 times so yeah definitely try these tactics out and let me know how they do uh how they go just obviously you can email me at mirbon at tennisfiles.com and also, if you did enjoy this episode, then I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the show. And you can do that at tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts with an S at the end or on your favorite podcast app of choice that you use to listen to the show. We just find that Apple Podcasts is the best in terms of increasing visibility for the show and uh, spreading out the information and joy and entertainment to the rest of the tennis players around the globe. So. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Also, I uh, would like to leave you with a quote, and this one is by Helen Keller. And Helen said, A bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. Really love that one there. Also, just kind of random, I just picked up this book by Anthony DeMello called Awareness. They call, um, I think the subtitle is The Perils and Opportunities of Reality. But really interesting read. Really enjoying it. I found it out from a tweet by um, one of my favorite podcasters, Tim Ferriss. He has uh, he hosts the Tim Ferriss Show, and it's about just awakening and um, being more aware of what's going on. And you know, there's a lot of aspects. You know, not letting um, the programming that you've been given, um, you know, rule your life and ruin your life. And and yeah, I think a lot of a lot of these concepts really apply very well to tennis in particular. You know, I mean, this is pretty much all mindset in this book, but separating I from me. And, you know, if you're, you know, not wetting yourself so much to the fact that saying, you know, I'm a tennis player. So then if I have bad results and that means like I, I should be feeling bad. I mean, you know, that's, it's always, I mean, there's, it, it, things are temporary, you know, your wins are temporary, your losses are temporary. So you should not get too wetted um, one way or another. You know, it's so excited when you win because then when you lose and the downs are going to be equally as crazy and um, on the other end. So anyway, I think it's a really good read. I'll link to it in the show notes. But yeah, just one last tidbit for you since I know this is a shorter episode, a solo one here, but I hope you got some great value from it. And we've got uh, some nice interviews coming down the pike. I'm going to record one tomorrow with 
with my friend Jonathan Stoke. So that should be good. But yeah, in any case, have a great one. And I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is your faithful host, Mirban Aranshad, signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.